0: Hey there, History fans, Melissa here. I just want to let you know that the episode you're about to listen to is one of our older episodes, so the way that we sound here is a bit different from what we sound like today. Over time, we've been able to change our format a bit, we've acquired new editing software, as well as new mics. So if the sound quality here isn't to your liking, please feel free to check out any of our newer episodes from Elmer McCurdy or anything from about March 18th up to today. I promise they sound a lot better. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode. We hope you learned something new, and we hope to have you back for more episodes as we continue to trek through history to explain it all.
1: Hey Hey there, there. History History fans. Welcome to another episode of the History Explains It All podcast. With your host, Lauren. And Melissa. On today's episode, we are covering a locked room mystery. Yes, yes. I'm not going to give you the name of the person that died yet. Somebody died? Yeah. That's why it's a locked room mystery. I'm not going to give you that name yet. We're just... We're going to wait until we get to the actual episode for that.
0: Um, At the front, so just in case you, if you liked our episode, feel free to leave us a review, uh, a five-star rating uh, anywhere that you get your reviews. (laughs) Please leave us a
1: review. Please leave us a review and and give us feedback in your review. We want to know what you like and what you don't like, what you want us to change For the better and what what you want us to keep. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also contact us through our email at historyexplainsall at gmail.com.
0: You can also go to our Facebook page, our Instagram pages, which is All underscore podcast. Both pages are the same
1: name. And also on our Instagram page, we will be starting to post polls every so often to get your opinion for upcoming episodes, topics which one you want to hear. So I'll put out an announcement a couple of days ahead of time on the Instagram and the Facebook pages when we're going to do a poll so that you have an idea of when to get prepared. And I'll open a poll for about a week worth of time on the Instagram page. So we definitely want to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. And I think before we get into this topic, you had something you wanted to to say, Melissa.
0: Oh, right. So just a little addendum, I guess you could call it, to last week's Weird History. Also, this week we don't have a Weird History. Uh, Things just got kind of busy, and I I didn't have a chance to fully research one. But we'll have one again for you next week. But I just wanted to uh, make an addendum to the Heinz-Duniger... Man with the World's Longest Beard, kind of, uh, the the, the tail end of the story. I think that the him having the World's Longest Beard, I think, would have been probably a record at his time. But I did find an article not long after we recorded that the Guinness Book of World Records has the World's Longest Beard given to Heinz Langseth, who lived in North Dakota, who died in 1927. His beard is actually in storage at the Smithsonian and it is a 17 foot six inch long beard, which is kind of insane. I think uh, that's one long old beard. <laughs> yes. No. And no, uh, he did not die by death by beard, uh, but it's really interesting. Uh, in his will, he actually asked his family to have his beard cut off prior to his funeral and have it uh, donated to his family. It was eventually donated to the smithsonian as sort of a guinness world record curiosity and we'll have a link to that in our sources below in case anyone wants to actually see it because there are certainly pictures of it it's certainly weird sounds weird (laughs) sounds like it yep yep you know what's also weird what death in a locked room oh yes (laughs) yes it is
1: (laughs) so today's topic is on as we said a locked room mystery We're going to start off with the time period. This locked room mystery occurred in 1929, which is, of course, the year famously known for the Great Depression starting. Yay!
0: (laughs) Black Tuesday. Not that fun.
1: I'd say say,
0: say it's probably even worse than Black Friday. Uh, Yeah,
1: probably. (laughs) Probably. The Great Depression started in August of 1929, and it ran until June of 1938. Our economy didn't start picking up, truly picking up, until the beginning when the U.S. entered World War II. But the Great Depression across the world, or the globe, however you want to call it, did end in uh, 1938. What ended up happening was there was a huge stock market crash, which actually started, which actually happened in October of 1929. The decline that led into the stock market crash began in August, hence the date for the beginning of the Great Depression is August 1929. This is also during the time that Her- Herbert Hoover is president, and his economic policies were, well, odd. His economic policies was at least says fair policy which basically is saying that the government has very little input in the economy. Too much input and too little input can create huge problems. Well, his says fair policy created huge problems, hence it led to the Great Depression. But his hopes were that the po- this policy would change the tide that the economy was going in, because the decline started in early 1929 versus late 1929. So... Your economy's failing. He's hoping things will change. Well, they change just rather, for the, rather than for the better, they change for the worse. And hence we have the Great Depression. So that's just a little bit of history on this time period that we're going to be talking about so that you know what's going on.
0: Yeah. I want to give a little side note to that. The homeless encampments that popped up around the entire country at this time were known as hoovervilles named after the president due to his failure for economic stability shocking not really well i mean this that
1: that really isn't surprising when you think about the situation we ended up in and i mean it lasted for basically 10 years almost we're just shy of te- a year and a few and a month or two of 10 full years of being in a Great depression, being in the Great Depression. Yeah. So it's not very surprising. No. But what happened was that on March 9th, 1929, a man was discovered dead inside, man known as Isidore Fink, forgot to mention his name, sorry, was discovered dead inside his laundromat slash apartment, that business that he owned. Mm Mm-hmm. So, to give you a little bit of history on Isidore Fink before we get into his death, he was an immigrant from Poland, and he emigrated to New York City. And, well, he opened a laundromat called, isn't it Fifth Avenue Laundry? Yes. That's what I thought. Uh, in Harlem?
0: Um, I, I want to say that. I, I couldn't find that definitively, but I do want to say yeah. Harlem sounds about I, right.
1: Yeah, I think, it, I think they said it was in Harlem. Harlem. Mm -hmm. There's, there was no specific, we got differing research, so we can't definitively say Harlem or not Harlem. But Fifth Avenue Laundry opened that laundromat business, and, well, unfortunately, he was killed there.
0: Yes. So, as we said, he immigrated, now, he immigrated to the U.S., and in around World War One, so roughly ten years or so prior to this, the man was thirty years old when he died. And just like a lot of other immigrants who immigrated into the Americas, usually between like 1900 and 1920, I mean, I think New York itself was called the melting pot. It still is. That's a good description for it. You, the United States, is a melting pot yeah, today, pretty much. But a lot of people, even to this day, a lot of people come to America for what we have termed the American dream, or at least a better way of life. They usually come from worn toward countries or government corrupt countries. And this was no different. Poland at that time was very corrupt. Uh, And maybe the area that Fink lived in was also very corrupt. Just a lot of violence. So he, like most people, was seeking a better opportunity in America, Unfortunately, the neighborhood he moved into, was not the nicest of neighborhoods. In fact, it was rather quite violent. And although I couldn't find much on who Fink was, we can determine part of his personality based off of his behaviors. And I think some of that probably stems from his life in Poland as well. According to people who knew him, whether you could say it was customers or friends or his landlord, those who... Interacted with him on a regular basis, knew him to be kind of a quiet type. I wouldn't say shy, but definitely quiet. Uh, it was known that he did never interacted with women. That could just be because he likely had a wife and family back in Poland. Uh, it could be just a cultural thing. But also he had a constant habit of making sure the the building itself was frequently locked when he was by himself for fear of robbery and burglaries which were very common at the time it was also not uncommon especially given the time frame around 1929 that there was police corruption was rampant mob activity was also rampant extortion money for protection was rampant now no one i couldn't find any sources that specifically said that he participated in any of this protection extortion from the mob. In fact, there are some sources that said that they never saw him take money from any unsavory individuals or from the police in order to keep his business more secure. But as we'll get into the crime scene in just a minute, he would keep his windows nailed shut and he would keep all the doors both to his personal apartment and to his business. So he had a laundromat and then above the laundromat was his own personal apartment. And that was always bolted and or just locked by a key. Whenever he was by himself, he had a habit of only letting people in, whether into his apartment or into the laundromat itself, if he knew who they were. So he only let regulars in. He was not very, he was not known to converse with unknown people because he was very concerned about being burgled for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of gives you a bit of personality to the man. To understand what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And So this
1: is... Oh, go ahead. Oh, Sorry.
0: I was just going to start describing the crime scene. What you have?
1: Oh, yeah. I was going to start describing the murder, too. Go ahead. Sure. On March 9th, 1929, Isidore Fink was discovered dead. About 10.30 p.m. And what's interesting is we have differing sources that say you're, say, that he was found in his apartment. Mine say he was found inside his laundromat, like in the laundromat part of his uh, business.
0: Well, um, I, That is probably actually a little more accurate of given for some people who had their sort of, had their apartment above their business. I think in some sources it's a, a flexible term, whether you say he was in his business, the apartment is above it. Sometimes it's just a flexible, he was in his place of residence because they yeah. were technically the same thing. So I think in this sense, it was probably, I, I there is a video on YouTube. This is how I got into this topic. In the first place, there's a channel called Obsolete Oddity. Definitely, if you like this story, go check him out. His videos are really great. But there is, at towards the end of the video, an actual crime scene picture of Isidore Fink in his apartment surrounded by the police, once uh, somebody was actually taking a picture of it and you'll see, it's a very small room. It actually does have some, a stack of laundry and some cleaning supplies. So it is actually more likely that this was in a back room of the lower level of the business rather than necessarily in his personal apartment above the laundry. Yeah,
1: I would think it would be the business. But the story behind his murder is that he's locked inside his business at 1030 at night. And, of course, as Melissa has already described, this place is shut tight. It's shut tight from the inside. He's barred the door. There's bars on the outside of the window. They're nailed shut. And so his neighbor hears a sound coming from the business.
0: Yes, she hears some scuffling. What? was a sort of, not necessarily a gunshot per se, but a loud bang of some kind. And then what she thinks is a thud, which sounds like someone falling to the ground. Now, back then, I mean, this is sort of more like a tenement area. So walls would have been thin. Most places didn't have central heating, especially given this was, I don't want to say it's a rundown neighborhood, but it wasn't a very pleasant Neighborhood, so uh, again, there were probably I don't know I doubt that there were any sort of building codes or zones like we have today where each even in an apartment building like where I live, there are certain building requirements. you have to have the walls, a certain amount of thickness, you have to use a certain type of materials back then, I doubt that that was really the issue, so I think in it's not like apartments nowadays are soundproof. you could certainly hear people scuffling around the other room. But back then I'm pretty sure walls would likely have been a lot thinner because materials would have been cheaper, especially if it was in a less than savory or less than prominent area. Yeah, probably.
1: So as we said, it's boarded up. She hears this sound and a thud and calls the police. By the time the police arrive, Fink is dead. He's long gone, unfortunately. But due to all the precautions that Fink took to lock up his place of business at night, especially with him inside of it, the police had no way of getting in. So what they actually found was a small window known as a transom window that was not barricaded. I'll put a picture of what a transom window is on our Instagram and Facebook pages so that you understand what I'm talking about. It's just kind of like that little window that... That's up top, on top of a door that looks like it folds in or out. It's your, essentially your air vent before air vents came along. Yeah. But the transom window is the one that's not locked. It's not boarded up. It's very, very small. And so what the police do is they go find a child, (laughs) a little, a young boy. And they, they have this, this kid Go through the transom window and unbolt the door from the inside.
0: <laughs> just, just imagine. Okay, so obviously the police are called. Again, this is a this is a time where there's no TV. TVs haven't really been invented, uh, if, if at all. Radios were a thing, but I don't know that necessarily that every household was able to have a radio still at this time. They, I they were I doubt that. Yeah, I doubt that. So if there's a big scuffle or crowd gathering out somewhere you're like they're gonna go out and take a look and go oh oh what's going on like essentially rubbernecking is it's still a thing now but now you're doing it in front of a large apartment building to to just look and give yourself something to do I suppose yeah <laughs> and so but imagine you're it doesn't specifically say how old the boy was but I'm suspecting in terms of boys probably somewhere which around seven maybe seven to ten might be a, a good age to expect this child, but imagine you're there, you, you're, you're looking at this crime scene, the police go, hey boy, come here, come here, come here. And then you're like, okay, you're going to go inside, there's a there's a dead guy in there, but we're going to have to put you through the window because we can't get in.
1: <laughs> well, they don't know he's dead yet. The police don't know officially know that, so they
0: can't tell him that, but... They're like, we think somebody's dead in there. Well, it's possible, but or maybe they had the a, door. It's possible they had maybe you know, a ladder they could see inside. They just couldn't get inside.
1: Yeah. Well, kid goes inside through this transom window, unbolts the door, front door from the inside, and they they go in and they find Fink's body in the back room of the laundromat, and he's received three gunshot wounds. Two of them are on the left side in his chest, and the other is through his left hand or wrist.
0: I had hand, but you said wrist, I think yes, yeah, some I didn't so there are no more police files for this case. they have actually been lost over time, but I was able to find that the coroner specifically stated the left wrist, which I think. Also, there were three wounds. I think we should maybe be a little more specific. I believe that the wrist injury was likely to have been a, a through and through kind of an injury as in terms of a defensive wound. There are only two bullets found. So I think it was three in, three bullet injuries, but only two bullets. Like, like one of the bullets went through his wrist and through his chest. Went through his wrist into his chest. It would have been a defensive wound. Also, the yeah. wrist showed gunpowder burns. Which would have been, which would have meant that it was a defensive wound at close contact, and to give a little yeah. more information about the body as it was found, also based off of the one crime scene photo, in the video I mentioned, Fink was found face down, facing away from the door towards uh, one of the walls in the this small little back room. You, when you see the picture, you'll see a stack of laundry with his his head facing the stack of laundry. Also, there's cleaning supplies in the shelving next to him. So, again, I likely would have been, I'd say, maybe an area near a supply room in the back, or just where he would actually do the laundry in the back room of the laundromat, rather than the front. Yeah. But he's, face- and- he's facing down, sprawled on the floor, uh, facing away from the door. Yeah, and there was an iron-on that was
1: left. Left yeah, on He or was heated up. At,
0: at the time of his death. He was in the middle of probably doing some laundry. He was known to have kept the shop open late, even if he had in order to continue doing some work. But I think he actually uh, officially closed the shop to customers in around 10 o'clock, but was known by his landlord or his neighbors to be up until midnight, usually still doing some work. So he had there was a stove, a gas stove that was on with an iron on it when they found it body. You know, this, this begs the
1: questions of who killed Isidore Fink? What was their motivation? Like we said, he didn't have many friends. He didn't sound like he made contact with a lot of people, which means probably few enemies, if any. And how in the world did they get inside the laundromat <laughs> and out then back out the laundromat? Well, I- when it's as tightly boarded
0: and closed as it was. Uh, I do have a very detailed theory section. I actually have four or five different theory sections. I do have a couple of little more notes on the crime scene itself. And uh, I also was able to make a subscription to the New York Times to go into their archives. And I did find an article on March 10th in reference to this case. So, gives you an idea that this was a real case. It's not just a locked room mystery that was made up. And I will read that in just a minute. So you have what the the article itself says. The okay. main policeman who arrived on the scene, his name was Albert Cattenborn. He was the one who actually came after the neighbor, Mrs. Lachlan Smith. We have no information about who she was. That could have been a nom de plume that she had used because it kind of sounds like locksmith. With, you know, I've, I've heard that from a couple of different sources, but regardless, a neighbor heard something and went to, and found a policeman and Albert Kitenborn came and he's the one who found the crime scene completely shut off and was able to grab the, the small boy and put him through the transom. After pictures were taken and the body was looked at, the, the room itself hadn't been... It hadn't been tossed around like you would if you had someone coming in for a robbery or a burglary looking for anything. There was still money in the cash registers. Fink even still had money in his pocket. So money itself yeah. was not a motive. The laundry was still in obviously this laundry mat, So uh, again, robbery for other items or fashionable items were not a motive. And in addition to it being completely locked from the inside, the only fingerprints found at all during the investigation only belong to Fink. So that in of itself is also very unusual and strange. And I will read to you the brief byline that the New York Times had on March 10th, which actually states is the title of it is, Perfect Crime Confronts Police, Laundry Man Shot Dead, No Clues Left. Isidore Fink, 30 years old, of 52nd East, 183rd Street, was shot dead at 1030 p.m. last night in the rear room of the Fifth Avenue Laundry, which he owned at 4th East, 132nd Street, by an assailant who apparently entered and left the laundry through the transom over the street door. The doors and windows in the laundry were locked when police entered, finding Fink on the floor with bullets in his left chest and one in the left hand. Money in the cash register and in Fink's pockets had not been taken. Mrs. Lachlan Smith, who lives in an apartment behind the second of the two-room laundry, heard screams and the sounds of blows, but no shots. She ran to the street and returned with patrolman Albert Cattenborn, who found the doors and the front, re- front rear windows locked. He managed to get into the laundry by lifting a boy through the open transom. Fink had evidently been doing some ironing, for a hot iron was on the lighted gas stove. Max Schwartz, a shoemaker who lived with Fink, I'll also point out that is actually his landlord, said that Fink always kept the doors locked when he worked late, as he feared hold-ups. Fink had no enemies and associated with no known women, said Schwartz.
1: Basically, an introvert who talked to basically nobody is what that sounds like. pretty
0: much someone who just kept
1: to himself which begs the question why what was the point in killing
0: this man if anyone killed him too my first of my list of theories is suicide which really so i'll have i'll have one two three four five five different theory sections to go through But the first being suicide, this was very, this was the first theory that most people thought, especially given the circumstances. You have a dead man who shot in the chest, lying on the floor of his own apartment building, locked in from the inside. Immediately, you do think suicide, suicide. but there was no gun found at all in the crime scene. Yeah,
1: no, the weapon wasn't there.
0: And I'll get to that through another theory section of mine, but the original thought... Was a suicide. However, you have a close contact offensive wound in the left wrist. It's highly unlikely that he would have shot himself through the wrist in order to shoot himself in the chest. And he had two gunshot wounds in his chest. That really doesn't say behavior for suicide so much, especially also that you didn't find the weapon. So, in fact, the coroner had was put had put out a statement specifically saying the man had been murdered the position of the body and location of the wounds indicate beyond doubt that Fink could not have shot himself
1: I, I don't understand how he would have been able to shoot himself like twice in the chest it's like that that seems awkward the location plus one over your your left hand at the same time
0: it just seems very awkward well my next series section is what i call murder in the Rain morgue because it's <laughs> somewhat reminiscent of the Poe story, which in that sense, if you've read it or if you haven't read it, go and read it if you like Poe. But spoilers a little bit. There's at one point in the story where police find a dead body inside of a chimney in a locked room. Ew. And they can't figure out how the body got into the chimney and there's nobody in the room. And eventually it was found that the window had a spring loaded nail that allowed the murderer to escape through the window, but then have it lock itself once he leaves. And some people believe that something similar had actually happened with Isidore Fink, where he had actually set up some kind of contraption in order to shoot himself without having actually pulled the trigger against his own self. But again, depending on what kind of contraption that would have been, you still had contact burns powder burns on the left wrist so it had to been something at very close range and if you shoot yourself, so shoot yourself twice in the chest and I'll get to that in another theory but depending on where you shoot and how you shoot and how deep the bullet goes if you're shooting yourself at close range like that you're likely going to have a more of a fatal injury to your chest well not only that you would find the weapon exactly there's also the weapon would have been somewhere in in the, that building right, exactly and then one of the sources specifically said that he had set up a con- some kind of contraption hidden in the walls of his apartment building, which he shot himself using a remote control. That mm. in 1929?
1: No, no. Mm, yeah, uh, that, that that makes no, no. sense.
0: Just a, a brief side note on remote controls. Years before Tesla, remote controls were a thing prior to 1929, but it in no way like today, where almost everything is remote controlled, it's very common and easy accessible. 1929, if anything had a remote, it was probably usually for government research or anything like that. When Tesla, I believe it was a small toy submarine or small toy boat, but he'd actually made a remote controlled toy prior prior to 1929. I think it was around 19, like 1919, 1920, but I don't have that off the top of my head, but I know prior to 1929, Tesla had made a remote controlled toy. So okay. they were uh, actually a thing. I think it was the first remote controlled anything. And Tesla being the genius that it was, it wouldn't be surprised to me that he was the one who actually made that. But remote control anything would not have been household common in 1929 if he had yeah. set up some kind of contraption. To shoot himself it likely would have either been by string or by wire
1: yeah plus i'm, I'm thinking imagine back in the 1929s and remote controls are are rare it's got to be expensive to somehow purchase one of those oh, of course so and the guy runs a laundromat he's an immigrant from europe and he's probably sending money back to his family at the time and not living in the safest of neighborhoods either which kind of screams to me, doesn't have enough money to buy a remote control. No,
0: for the most part, if someone found out he had anything that was remote controlled, he likely would have been burgled before then. Yeah. Because that's definitely a very expensive item. I think yeah, That doesn't make sense no, to me. No, that doesn't make sense. I, and in addition to that, I believe you had found some sources where there was a theory going around where somebody... The, the assailant had hidden himself in the business or uh, some possibly in a secret compartment in the walls. I didn't
1: find that theory. That was a theory that I thought of. And you said there was a theory on
0: that. There was a couple of people talking about it at the time. There was, it, it was a thought that went around same as the thought of suicide, even though, but all these are were very quickly dismissed because there was no ev- actual evidence to back it up. Police, had thought of that and they did check all the walls, they checked all the closets, they checked all the cupboards. They could not find any secret compartment or wall space for anyone to hide in who then would have left the crime scene at a later time. So that would not have been possible. Interesting. And my next theory is one that was actually also posited by the police that he was shot through the transom window. Now the transom window originally at, you know, cause people, when they, when they, the police came in and said, okay, first look, suicide. Second look, there's no gun. It can't be suicide. The person had to have entered and exited or at least exited through this very small transom, which uh, again, transoms only open in one direction. They open out. If I remember correctly, but it was only small enough for a small boy to have gone through. So it's entirely possible that if whoever the assailant was shot Fink through the transom, either on a ladder, which you would have seen someone exit the the front through it with the ladder in their hands, or maybe it was somebody with a small boy on his shoulders and the boy shot it. But again, powder burns on the left wrist, close contact, it's not going to work with shooting somebody through the transom. Uh, it also was quickly posited, but then also quickly dismissed that the, the actual little boy who was sent through the transom to unlock the room, possibly pinched the, the gun that he saw and walked out with it. But again, highly unlikely. Be like, really? Well, I mean, given the neighborhood, it was a weapon to defend himself with, but Highly unlikely that that would have happened. I'm sure someone would have seen something when the boy walks out with a gun tucked in his pants. You think? (laughs) I mean, if
1: it's a little kid, you know, imagine transom window, really small space, as we said. Little kid. He can't be more than, what, ten? Seven to ten tops. Yeah. Just just to be able to fit through the window, I would think he'd be be somewhere, like, around the age of ten. He can't be Fifteen or something, because you're too big at that. A, a young man is too big at that point, and they're not a boy at that point either. And considered young men, especially in the nineteen twenties.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, if he has to fit through that window, that gun is going to be bulging out of his pants.
0: It's going to be. No- it's gonna be big. It's going to be noticeable for sure. Yeah. Whether you put it in the pocket. Or you put it in the, the the waistband. Now, there were different kinds of guns at that time. A source I was looking at just said it, it could, could have possibly been a, a Dillinger, which was a very small gun, uh, mm-hmm. very, a pocket-sized gun, but it has a powerful sort of uh, kick. kick to it. Now, the fact that the landlord heard no gunshots, but she did hear a scuffling and a loud thump, does posit the theory that whoever shot Fink had a silencer on his gun, which that would have been a common thing at the time. And I'll get mm. to that in a different theory. My next theory is just on the rumors of specific or semi-specific people that certain people had told the police about. I don't think either of these are true, but they're still very interesting. I suppose the first one, the the first one that I came across was that Fink had a, friend, and this friend will come up in the next uh, theory section I have, yeah. but and we, friend is kind of in quotes because given yeah. what I have to say later makes me think it's not really so much of a friend, but you never know. But Fink, it is said that Fink had a friend who stopped by the laundromat and around nine forty-five that evening and saw Fink talking to quote what he told the police. I saw a Negro man and woman asking Fink if he had any laundry to sell. And apparently it wasn't necessarily uncommon at that time for some laundry owners to sell unclean clothing in order to make a few extra dollars. I don't know how common that really was, but it's entirely probable. But the friend said that he saw this couple talking to Fink and he noticed that, okay, so my friend's busy. He's having a chat with people. I'll leave and I'll maybe I'll come back in another time. And this person this unknown friend also told police claiming that he was fink's only friend now given the man was an introvert and kept to himself possibly only had one friend but i don't know i don't really know how i feel about that but it is known from the police records at that time although i said that they're not currently available but this case, his case has been going ongoing since 1929 but the police never actually tracked down this couple There are no records that police even investigated this quote unquote friend of Fink's either. Also racism was a big thing back then as it is now, but I think it's even worse back then. And for the most part, if you're trying to take suspicion off of yourself, you just tell them that you saw somebody not white talking to this people and it directs suspicion off yourself. Unfortunately, that was a thing. And that is probably what happened in this case in reference to the friend. Also, it was rumored that two well-dressed women were in the quote-unquote hallway that night, which was very quickly dismissed because given the neighborhood, two well-dressed men, well-dressed women, would probably, one, not be by themselves in an unsafe neighborhood at 945 at night without some kind of chaperone. Given the time, chaperones were still a thing, mm-hmm. but you're also well-dressed. So yeah. I, I personally throw that one out immediately. It also, as I previously stated, Fink does not associate they don't with women. They don't, and, and none of this really exists. But also, as I said, these are theories that just don't correlate. Right. Well, it doesn't correlate because Fink was never known to associate with women. So there's that, too. Like I said, he only opened up his laundromat for regular customers. He only opened the door to let people in if he knew who they were. So my last theory that I have Uh is Fink's, again, quote unquote friend, the same person who claimed that there was a couple talking to him that he told the police about that they have no evidence of any couple. Also, this same quote unquote friend said he was Fink's only friend in the area so let's get into this this one i think is probably mm. the most plausible of all theories mm-hmm. it does explain quite a bit it's not something that can ever be obviously brought to light but i think it's probably the best theory mm-hmm. is again fink only locked his business when he was by himself and most of the time he was very likely by himself but if he had a friend over it's possible that maybe he wouldn't lock it if Mm -hmm. he were not by himself. So just on the, again, people said he, he was afraid of being held up and being robbed. Mm -hmm. So it's very possible the two of them were talking or one was visiting Fink, And at a point during the visit, the two of them got into an argument. And again, given the fact that it's an unsafe neighborhood, it would not have been uncommon for people to walk around with guns in fact it was 1929 lots of people had guns (laughs) (laughs) lots of people had guns and and it was a whole lot easier to get a hold of guns than it is now there there really weren't a whole lot of wait periods and government checks for people to get guns oh boy Hmm. and if you live in a crime-ridden neighborhood you're likely to have some kind of weapon on you so it wouldn't be surprised if his friend carried a gun so it's it's theorized that these two men got into quite an argument to where the friend pulled out a gun with a silencer on it. And Fink, in defense of himself, tried to wrestle the gun away from his friend. Now, again, as we said, and you can see a picture of the the one crime scene photo, that the place doesn't look completely disheveled. Like they've knocked each other about trying to wrestle this gun away. I think it was just, I wouldn't call it a scuffle. To me, that envisions a lot of mess, but they definitely would have struggled over the gun. And this is the noise that the neighbor likely would have heard. And there was at some point a scream and then a thud. And it's possible that at some point during this struggle, the gun may have even accidentally gone off, or depending on what the circumstances was, it was intentional because there were two two bullet wounds in the chest and a three bullet wound through his left wrist so maybe the first one was accidental i i the second you know, one sounds you know, intentional second one I and mean, <laughs> technically you can have two accidental shooting uh, two accidental bullet wounds in a person, but usually after mm. But you, especially if it's your friend and you accidentally shoot them, you're probably going to stop at just one, depending on what else is going on. But either mm. in, intentional or accidental, Fink was shot and shot twice in the in the, the chest. And it said that because again he wasn't by himself, that the front door may not have actually been locked. And so it's interesting so that his friend actually exited through the door and around ten o'clock that night. And then
1: it and lock the but how did he lock it behind himself?
0: Well, depending on, as I said, how where the bullet enters, how it like it it's just because it's in the left side of the chest doesn't mean it punctured the heart as well. It could have just been left side maybe by the shoulder or Mm -hmm. by the clavicle or something like that. So it depends on where it was where he got hit and how deep the bullet was, depending on how profusely he was bleeding out, he may have actually still had enough uh what would you call it um energy life force no the so just the, the the wherewithal to be aware of his surroundings so okay that he was possibly afraid his friend might come back or somebody else might come back so with the whatever strength he happened have left he did what was Uh routine for him he was by himself and now he's in fear for his life he actually locks the door he he puts the key in the lock and he locks the sliding bolt which is a seven inch long bolt that he uses to lock the front door and then makes his way continues into his business and collapses on the floor interesting Mm -hmm. and that same uh, article that i found that mentioned this actually has a quote from emily nc narcisco who is a physical assistant in California who works in emergency medicine, she specifically stated that, yes, you could run 25 feet if you're shot in the chest, depending on where the bullet hit. I've seen people drive themselves to the emergency department after being shot and then simply run through the front door. So depending, again, on how deep the bullet is and where particularly you're shot, you could still have the strength and the wherewithal to be aware of your surroundings and lock yourself in. So that, wow. because the transom itself was shut, as far as I understand, it wasn't, unless, it, I mean, it, it's possible, as you said, the transom was an airflow vent for the most part, so it could have been left open, too, especially if he's doing any kind of work with the laundry. The fumes, particularly yeah. back then, were likely to have some sort of toxicity to them, and you definitely wanted some airflow, particularly given that he kept all the other windows, nails shut. Yeah. But this would it, also explain mm-hmm. the noises that... Mrs. Lachlan Smith heard it would explain how the killer could have left the building without having to lock the door from the outside because it didn't lock from the outside as far as I understood Um, it would also explain why there were only one set of fingerprints which would have belonged to Fink also would have explained why there was no robbery and that there were no valuables missing let alone the money that was still in the cash register and in Fink's pockets
1: that's true because he did, they, they, whoever did this didn't take the money, so.
0: Mm-mm. So I think this this friend's theory is probably the best theory. Yeah. It would also explain, you know, obviously it wasn't, he, whoever went there didn't go there to kill Fink, I think. I think it, it at least started off as accidental, or at least it's, and then became probably like an accidental, certainly an accidental homicide for sure. Involuntary manslaughter, whatever you want to call it. That, that's a slightly different thing. <laughs> At the end of the day, Fink's still dead. So, Yeah, in fact, I don't know how, how long the direct case was with the police. I know that obviously it would have been a few months. But in, it wasn't until two years later in 1931 that the police commissioner specifically made a statement saying the mystery is insoluble. And we are closing the case. It is now a cold case. And it still is to this day, technically. Oh, yeah. That's why we, it's still called a locked room mystery.
1: Yep. It's, it's still a mystery to this day. Fink's murder was never solved, never has been. And uh, what do you call it? The, uh, I'm blanking on the word. <laughs> the police have shut it. And it's now, what, 92 years old? It's a 92-year-old cold case. Approximately, because 1929, 2021, eight years, in eight and a half years, it'll hit, reach a uh, 100 year old cold case if it's still never solved, which I don't think it will be because I don't think they're opening it up again to, to look into it. So, Well,
0: uh, I mean, I doubt it. At this point, anyone who would have been involved has long since passed. And even if they were able to name a suspect, no one is going to be brought to justice for it. Oh it's long past the period <laughs> that anyone can do anything about. I mean technically there's no statute of limitation on murder, but that's true but like still, who, but who who
1: who are you going to take to court an 95 year old kid
0: who would have been 4 at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Or something like that, three you or know. Four. Uh, but just even I mean, again the, the court the court records, the crime scene records, the police records are lost over time. Yeah. This was An immigrant laundromat or a launderer living in a rough neighborhood who lived by himself, who is not known to have too many friends or any known enemies who didn't really associate with people all too much, but was known enough in the the area that he had a good business. I won't say thriving, but it certainly would have been good business. He kept to himself. So in a sense, he was just your average Joe. Joe. And so it's not a it's not a high pro- profile case by any means. It is an interesting case, mystery. It's certainly an interesting mystery and interesting case, and a good, really good one for armchair detectives and such. But it's not a high profile case, so I doubt it's ever going to be reopened and examined. Also, again, given that the, the records are likely they're gone. they're gone, whether destroyed or lost. But also given the forensics at the time. I mean, DNA was certainly not a thing. At least the fingerprints were were a thing. Fingerprints had finally caught on by this point. But that you didn't really have a whole lot. Uh, even chemical composition in terms of forensics was not really much of a thing. But this also this case didn't really leave the police with a whole lot to go off of in the first place.
1: Yeah, they they were left with a lot of mysteries and questions that we kind of stated the basics, the who, what and when question. Who did it? And when the why, who did it? We know the when actually, who did it? What did, where's the weapon? Why did they do it? There's not a lot to go on. And those, those are the major questions that you have to ask when trying to solve a mystery like this.
0: Right. And I mean, even the physical evidence, there's not much to go off of. We know he had powder burns. We know that he died in this place of business. We know that he was locked from the inside. So it's very hard hard to determine how somebody would have gotten out which is why I I like the friend theory my that's my personal best on that one I think because it it definitely personal favorite theory on this yeah well it it describes how somebody could have gotten out and think just went on instinct I'm by myself and I'm in fear of my life I'm going to lock the front door which is something anyone would or would they
1: (laughs) I would be, like, trying to call a cop, being like, get me to
0: an emergency
1: hospital. Well,
0: today, yes. But back yeah, then, phones, that's phones were not very common and all that's households. True, and not necessarily all businesses had phones, which is why you go find a beat cop. That's why there were beat cops.
1: People yeah.
0: walking down the street. I would have been trying to find a beat cop, at least. Well, that's what the, the neighbor did. She went and she found Albert Cattenborn, who was a beat cop.
1: Yeah. Well, no, if, like, it was me and I had that last little bit of adrenaline... I wouldn't lock myself in. I would go and try and get
0: save my life. <laughs> well, that's true, but also I mean, as introverted as you are, you're also not paranoid about your home being burled all the time, so you're not more in the routine of locking yourself in away from the outside, where it's you're you you do not live in a rough neighborhood you don't you're not in fear for your life on a constant or you fear for your business on a constant basis,
1: yeah. That's true, too. I, I would think he would at least try and find someone that could go find a B-cop and then lock himself in.
0: Well, again, depending on...
1: But but, but the... that's just my thought processes. I'm also the child of people who worked in hospitals.
0: <laughs> yes, but again, again, also think about, we. although we don't have the coroner's report specifically, we don't have the autopsy notes. We don't know where yeah. the bullets specifically were hit. We don't know... Some, we don't know, some, know a lot. <laughs> we don't know a lot because there's nothing left. We, th- there was a, a note from the coroner that said that he may have likely died almost immediately. Oh, wow. But yep. uh, but he was alive long enough to have instinct or routine, as I've been saying, kick in to lock his door for fear of somebody coming back mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and then collapse on the floor. So it could have been within five minutes of him being shot that he completely died. We don't actually fully know because, again, also forensics at that time were nowhere near as specialized as they are now. So we can't you can still pinpoint time frame, but it wasn't as specific as you could do that today.
1: That's true. Yeah, it's it's strange and slightly odd, you know, that's how I like it. (laughs) but that's all i had those were all my questions that i was left with what about you
0: that was pretty much it uh yeah i I just really liked this mystery from the get-go as soon as i saw the oddity video and i've been wanting to research and look into it ever since and now you have yay well
1: that'll do for this episode
0: of history explains it all We hope to see you next episode as we continue to trek through history to to explain explain it it all. Bye. Bye.